This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome everybody, welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. Uh, tonight we're learning also Le'ilu uh, Nishmat, uh, my grandmother, Tila Bat Ravi David. Uh, t- so today we're going to be speaking about Erev So it's going to be the evil, the corrupt, the arrogant of the Jewish nation that is preventing Mashiach from coming. And uh, But before we get to that, I had, um, for one of my close students, sent me an email today that I have to share with you regarding Islam. Um, so this is an article that was written by a European, from my understanding. His name is Sebastian Villar Rodriguez. And he wrote an article as post um, the Holocaust in a difference to the Muslim, what the situation going on in, uh, in Europe right now. So I want to, I want to actually read a few, uh, a few lines from here if, uh, you bear with me and you can see how this is, by the way, this is a view from a very, very small minority of the non-Jews. Generally, the non-Jews, uh, you know, look at CNN, like they all side with the Palestinian. Now look at, look at it from this, uh, from this aspect. So he goes like this. He says, Europe died in Auschwitz. We killed six million Jews and replaced them with twenty million Muslims. We destroyed the chosen people, the truly chosen, because they produced great and wonderful people who changed the world. And this contribution is in all areas of, of life, science, art, international trade, and above all, the conscious of the world. And because we wanted to prove ourselves that we were cured of a disease of racism, we opened our gates to 20 million Muslims who brought, and I'm quoting, us stupidity and arrogance, religious extremism, lack of tolerance, crime and poverty. They have blown up our trains and our beautiful Spanish cities into, and turning it into third world drowning in filth and crime. We have exchanged the pursuit of peace of the Jews and the town for a better future for their children for uh, because of their life, which is uh, considered holy. For those who pursue death, who desire death for themselves and for others, for our children and theirs. And he says, and then he, he ends off this, this segment. He says, what a terrible mistake that was made by miserable Europe. Then he goes on to explain, and I think this is part of the, of the article, uh, how many Muslims received the Nobel Prize was how many Jews received a Nobel Prize. And I have a list of everybody who received what. I'm not going to go through that because we'll be here for a while. Not from the Muslim side, uh, from the Jewish side. But from the, so listen, so we have what? We have about 1.8 billion Muslims. You're talking about over 20, uh, almost 25% of the world population is Muslim. How many do you think Nobel Prize winners are there from the Muslim uh, side? Five. Five, yeah. Close. Seven. Seven. One in literature, four for peace, and two for medicine. Yes, sir, but isn't it for peace? Yeah. What um, country was that from? The article you described? It's European. I don't know. I would assume maybe. I don't know. Yeah. He said Spanish. He said Spanish. So it could be Spanish. But I don't know. How many things the Jews? So Muslim seven. What are we up to with the Jews? Jews, by the way, let's let's put a little bit in numbers though. So they're 1.8 billion, about 25 percent of the world population, roughly. Uh, you have the Jews were about 14 million, which is 0.02 percent of the world population. We don't even make half of a percent. So how many of that do you think we have in the Nobel Prize uh, winning? 57. Whoa, Rachel. It's a very specific number also. Um, the number is 129. 129 from that. And I'll, I'll break it down really quickly. Literature, 10. Peace, 8. Physics, 53. Economics, by the way, oh, I forgot to tell you, they have zero for physics and zero for economics. Um, so Jews, physics, 53. Economics, 13. Medicine, 44. For a total of 129. So um, Europe did a really excellent job by kicking us out um, and uh, inviting in the, you know, all the Shahids that they're going to get to the next world. The, 
<laughs> and the Jews, the Jews are, I'm already past that. Uh, the Jews are not promoting, you know, any brainwashing of the children. There's no military training camps like we spoke about last week for the kindergarten. Uh, you know, we don't uh, hijack planes. We don't kill any athletes in the Olympics. We don't blow ourselves up in German restaurants. And uh, the Muslim, you know, he says, he, he, he goes on. This is, by the way, this is still him. This is still uh, his, his words, not mine. So I'm just the delivery guy. Whoever's into it has offense with this. I'm just, you know I'm just happens, sending a right? thing. The messenger's always yeah. <laughs> he says that perhaps, listen to this, that perhaps the world's Muslims should consider investing more in standard ed- education and less in blaming the Jews for all their problems. This is not a Jewish person writing this, uh, this article. Muslims ask what can, Muslims must ask what can they do for humankind before they demand what humankind does for them. And this is, says something, he quotes, uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu. He goes and says, if Arabs put down their weapons today, there will be no more violence. If Jews put down their weapons today, there will be no more Israel. And he said, and he goes like this, and he finds, it finishes off with this idea. General Eisenhower, he said when they, uh, um, liberated the Jews from the, from the Holocaust, so he goes, he told it to, in all the death camps, in all, in all the, um, concentration camps, he said over there, get everything on record, take videos, take pictures, take everything on record. Why? Because so some, somewhere down the road in history, some, and he uses a very uh, rude terminology, blank, will get up and say that this never happened. And look, he said recently in, in, in the United Kingdom, there was a debate if we should remove Holocaust from the curriculum that they studied in the schools. Why? Because it offends the Muslim population who state that it never happened. And this was a debate. This was like, should we do it or should we not? Yeah, yeah. So, and then he finishes off with this. He says, how many years will it be before the attack on the World Trade Center never happened because it offends the Muslim in the United States? So this is what we're dealing with in, in the days before Mashiach. This, yeah, he is, he, he is, uh, um, by the way, this is something very, very interesting to see because you look at how much outright evidence there is in this, in, in the world, how it's like, how could you still blame the Jews for what's going on in the Middle East? It makes absolutely no sense. Rather, we have to see, and we have to come to the conclusion that it's only God orchestrating everything. And you have to be an idiotic and blind not to see that. Not to see the fact that we're able to survive in such a country with all this going around, and all this is going around. That's two things that you should be able to, uh, um, you know, uh, stick out. So now let's go to the topic of the end of days. Now you think, okay, so we have the Islam against us and we have um, the Christians against us. Uh, you know, the Western, you know, everybody. We have the, the exile of Edom and the exile of Ishmael. Now, you think, okay, so those are the two people. But it says there's one group of people that hurt us more than both those combined together. And that is the group of Erev Rav. So this is what we're going to be discussing today, the Erev Rav. So, you know, the people always ask me, you know, like, what Jews are not going to make it in the end of days? That's for this class. This is the class that we're going to discuss. Who is not going to make it at the end of days? So, but before we get into that, go, uh, you know, uh, bouncing on continuation from what we just, uh, you know, wrote, uh, said in that article. 2,000 years ago, you know how many Jews there were? According to, like, rough estimates, of course. It was about 10 million Jews. 2,000 years ago, do you know how many Chinese people there were? 25 million. So when there were 10 million Jews, 10 million, did I say 10,000? 10 million. 10 million Jews and 25 million Chinese, that was 2,000 years ago. Now... There is 14 million Jews, that's an addition of 4 million, and there's 1.3 billion Chinese. What happened over there? We were, we, according to the normal population dynamics, not including the birth rates of the Jews versus the birth rate of the Asians, which is like one per family or whatever it is, one male, I don't know exactly what the, the, the restrictions is, but they have, they, have, they have a restriction. We have no restriction. We should have a list, at least a minimum of 500, a half a billion Jews. It should, at least, just so like normal population dynamics, we should be there. The question is, where are we? 
And the answer is, thank you to the Christians and thank you to the Islam for, you know, they, for the, for the persecution that they constantly go and they constantly murder us and they constantly track after us. And now we have somebody additional to also to thank. And that's the Elevlav, which push all for the assimilation. And we're losing also tons. You know, nowadays it's the, the silent Holocaust because we're losing everybody towards the, um, the assimilation. The Vilna Gohan goes and he says, this is 200 years ago, and he says the Erevrav, they would grab control of the Jewish government and they would become leaders of the nation. He says this 200 years ago, we didn't even have a nation. And he, go, and he, go, and he continues, he says the Erevrav, they will be with extraordinary chutzpah. They're, they're going to be the type of people that they cast out cast off the yoke of the Torah, the yoke of heaven, and they're going to be, for some odd reason, they're very, very strongly woven into the Jewish nation. So they're going to completely throw away anything that's Jewish, but still stay to the Jewish side, and because of that, they will put all their heresy and their heretics and all the bad ideologies, and it would infest it into the Jewish nation. And these are also the people, the, the arrogant rich, who constantly run after their own cravings. The Rav Yosef Migash, 900 years ago, he wrote that there will be Jewish, before Mashiach comes, there will be Jewish extremists who provoke an intense amount of hatred towards Torah scholars. I don't know if you're familiar with what's going on in Israel, but there are people in the government that they have a strong, and it's, and it's visible, they don't hide it, a very strong hatred towards the religious. The religious should be in the army, the religious should, you know, should go to work, the religious, etc. and etc. So, who is the Erev Rav? We first have to discuss this, the terminology that we use a lot, so uh, people generally like to call Amalekim, people that they don't like. Erev Rav, people they don't like. Who is it? How, how can we define it? I'm going to give you two answers. One's going to be simple, and one's going to be a detailed answer. For the simple answer, there was, um, when the Jews left Egypt, so there were a bunch of Egyptians that was, wanted to convert, and wanted to join the Jewish nation. Uh, generally, you have all those people that are always uh, like to be on the winning side. You know, if, uh, if you, you know, there's, uh, you know, you know, whatever. Let's say you waste your time watching sports. Uh, I'm sure no one here, but whatever. But assuming that somebody goes and wastes his time watching sports, you got a guy who's not a sports, uh, you know, like he doesn't know anything about it. So he says, uh, you know, who, who are you rooting for? Like, I don't know. Who's winning? Oh, yeah, I'll root for them. You know, you always want to be on the winning side. Yeah, like, you know, I like to be the winning side. So, there are also people like that in the world. They see the Jews are up, so they want to be also a part of the Jewish nation. That is why, by the way, we don't accept Jewish converts when Mashiach comes. So of course, everyone's going to want to convert. We don't accept that anymore. So, Wait, you don't accept Jewish converts? Converts to the Jewish nation. After Mashiach is here? Mm-hmm. Okay, but right before, like, yeah. like the second before, you're going to say yes? Except when they're right? Even if they're, con- even if they're in the process, they're good. Even if they didn't get there yet. Oh, wow. So as long as they started the process and they're, they're le- legit. Not like there are some people that I know that are in the process for a very long time. And, you know, so like, it doesn't take you 10 years to convert. It means that you're really not interested. Those type of people, they're not going to make it. But someone who's literally in the process. I'm so sorry. I just have a question. Yep. What if, like, because a lot of the Kavkazi community, the Gorsi community, there's a lot of, um, um, what are they called? They're so wrong. Muslims, Muslims, basically. Muslims. Okay, there's Muslim moms and Gorski dads, right? Yeah. yeah. And the kids, they 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 believe that they're Jewish. They're not Jewish. We know that. Right. We they know that, that. But they think that. And they're raised the Jewish way and the Gorski way, and they know better than me. Like you know, which is all cool. That's problematic. That is very so problematic, especially when it comes to. They're not Jewish. Um, they hopefully we pray to God that they convert, but they're not considered Jews. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, no, they have to accept Judaism. They have to do. They have to go through the test. They have to do everything. Same, same conversion. So, I mean, generally, those type of people would, you know, there are some rabbis that we try to, you know, get them to convert because they're sort of in the family, but um, they still have to go through the same conversion, same, same full fledged conversion. But what if they live like Goyim and they think and they're okay with living like Goyim? They they don't get converted. We reject those. 
No, no. Like, what if they they, they want to stay God? No, they think they're Jews, but they want to stay God. Like, they don't want to convert. Right, they're, they're, they they're considered non-Jews. They're considered they, non-Jews. They believe that they are. I know, I know. I've spoken to a few of them, and I told them that you're not Jewish, and they were pretty shocked, and... Uh, um, especially when they they were dating, I had I I have one. What am I supposed to do? I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you and tell you that yeah you're Jewish. I had one guy that's dating a, a Jewish girl, and he's and his his father is uh, is is Jewish, but his mother is not. I said uh, he's like he's like what do you what, you know? And he, he actually you know surprisingly he comes to my classes. So one of my classes, I said um, so I keep on telling him I'm like you know and he he loves her. He really does. He really want he wants to marry her. And I said then convert. So he says but do I have to keep Shabbat? I'm like yeah. And he says what if I can't? I'm like then don't convert. He says but I love her. Like, I don't know what to tell you, man. This is what it is. So, he, you know, and it goes back and forth. And, you know, and, and he keeps on, and he's like, you know, and I tell him, I'm like, if you're not going to, you know, you're causing her to do a, a great sin. She's not allowed to be with you. You love her, then let her go. Let her fly away. Sorry, here's another question. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, how many generations do you need proof of you, that you're Jewish? Because sometimes this, this can get lost with our people. You need like three generations, right? Generally speaking, if you have the chaz, if you have the night, you know, it, it that that can get really detailed depending on the situation. That's a cla- that's a question on the side. But if yeah. your parents are Jewish and they were raised Jewish and you come from a Jewish background and you have the, it's Jewish down the line, then there's no question about it. But then it goes into a lot of details. Okay, then you have to do you know. have to dig into you have to dig into it. No. So there's some people that they do conversions uh, just in case. You know, uh, there was, um, uh, I'll tell you a story that happened. There was, and I want to go back to this otherwise because we have a lot of, a lot of stuff and a lot of information. No, no, it's fine. Um, so there was a, there was a, um, a person that was, that became religious. He was not religious, became religious. And he was learning in yeshiva. Like, like, not like for an hour a day. It was like full time in yeshiva. And as, you know, as the process was going on, they were talking and they were discussing and the rabbi mentioned something about reform conversion. And he says, you know, some people that convert reform is not considered a uh, conversion. So he's like, so one of the kids raises his hand and he says, you know, um, he says, I think his mother was a convert and she converted reform. And now he's sitting in yeshiva for learning for like a year and a half or something, learning yeshiva like that. So the rabbi says, are you serious? You've got to go and convert right now. He says, you're not considered Jewish. He said, he said there's a guy sitting over here in yeshiva. He's not even a Jew. So they went and they converted him right away. They did it, they did it. I mean, he knew everything, so it was like, chick-chack, they did a conversion. But look how God worked it out. You know, somebody who really wants to be Jewish, you see that how the conversation came up when he was next to it, and everything, and everything uh, came out to the open. So, okay. So anyways, going back, who are these, uh, these Elevav? Elevav are these people uh, from when we left Egypt, they wanted to convert to the Jewish nation. And they did, and they, we, we converted them. These converts, says the Vilna Gaon, these are the, these are the souls that are coming back nowadays. So they converted, and we're gonna soon see they caused a lot of problems for the Jewish nation back then. These are the same, same souls that are coming back now, and they're the same Elevav that were back then. So they were Egyptian that turned into, uh, um, to, to Jews. And we see, we know also in Kiddushin, in page 49b, it says that Egypt was steeped into, um, sorcery. And it says over there that ten measures, ten like parts of sorcery was giving out to the world, Egypt took nine. You know what they say about women and talking, right? Okay. So, um, so figure the same idea. They, uh, they took nine factors. So what is so big about sorcery? What is the, the underlying essence of sorcery? So magic, it's something that is able to make you, it's not only a sleight of hat, I'm talking about real magic. So it's not only, it's not something that is, it, it can make something appear something that is not. And the Gemara brings a story down that it was a rabbi who bought a donkey in time. And then when he poured water on it, it turned into a plank of wood. So that was their level that they would be able to do in Egypt. They would be able to make a plank of wood look like a donkey. So you're talking, so what they're able to do is they're able to go and they're able to take something and make it look like it's something else. Now this 
is the same idea um, where the, the underlying essence of it is to re- free you from any restraint. They have, they have workarounds around everything. This is, the, this is the day that we're living in now. We have a workaround for everything. In Egypt, it says in the Pasuk um, that God tells uh, Moshe to go and tell Pharaoh to go and let the Jews out. What does Pharaoh reply? Who is this God? I don't know this God. But like, like, uh, um, well, the name is Mi Hashem Hashem who is God that I should listen to his, to his, uh, to his voice? This is in Exodus chapter 5 verse 2. Which means is you're denying the existence of God. This is what's happening nowadays, just like Egypt did it back then. Today's Egypt, which is Erev is doing it the same thing. They're coming and there are all these atheistic people and saying, who are we to really believe in God? And who is this guy? We've never seen him before, we don't understand him, it's all, it's all nonsense. So, the, um, and he says something also very interesting. You know, the numerical value for Erevrab is the same numerical value for Sitra Acha. Sitra Acha is the other side, the evil side, this is like the Satan. So the same, it's the same numerical, uh, value. And it's something, the Zohar says something very interesting. That the Erevrab delay the redemption more than any other nations in the world. They're causing the biggest delay. So may ask, what's their purpose? Why, you know, why can't, you know, we dish them out? And one of the reasons is, is that they, uh, they cause suffering to the Jewish people. These people cause a lot of problems to the Jewish people. The liberals, you know, they cause a lot of suffering to the Jewish people. And they, this will sort of like make the process quicker for Mashiach to, uh, uh, to come. Okay. So now, let's go for a little bit of a, of a detailed answer on, on who these Erevrav are. So, it says in Shemot, in chapter 7, verse 2, that the people that converted, the Erev Rav, they all spoke one language. What does that mean, they all spoke one language? The, the reason is they spoke a specific language, and that was the language of sorcery. Yeah, the people that converted were actually the magicians. The magicians are the ones that converted to the Jewish. They were part of the Erev Rav. And we know we spoke about this, that Bilam's children were part of the, of the Erev Rav. So... They are the ones that that are going to be converted, and so God tells Moses, "Don't, don't, don't. Uh, they're no good. Don't let them come in." So Moses started arguing. He says, "No, no, no." But listen, he says they want to do good. They saw all your wonders. They saw the ten plagues. He says, "Let now they see their the truth faith. Let's bring them in." And then and Moses went and brought them in. And then we'll see. This is by the way, the Zohar says this, and this is what uh, um, this is where the the problem started happening. The, if, I, if I could just uh, sidetrack and go back in time a little bit, the origins of these souls go a little bit cabalistic over here. Where, where did these uh, where did these Erev come? There's a Gemara in Eruvin in page 18b. It says Rabbi Yirmiyah, the son of Avilezer, said that Adam Arishon, when he um, when he found out that he brought death to the world from the sin of eating from the tree, so he wanted to do an atonement at Kapara. So what he did was is he separated from his wife, he separated from his wife for 130 years. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about separation, that's 130 years of separation, and including that, he didn't just separate. He also fasted. He also did, he's tried to do a lot of uh, tissue up, but um, he had he had uh, unfortunately since he separated for 130 years he had unintentional seminal emissions that uh, that came out and says the says the Gemara that says from this the, that he fathered Uchin, Shedin, and Elilin. These are like demons, like like uh, these these souls that he fathered because he he separated in that in that point in time. Says the Ariza. Says you know who the Elav are. They are those souls that he that 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 came out unintentionally. So they were, and says Ariza, they were actually high level souls. They were levels of Das according to Kabbalah, and. And he says, and Rizal brings down also, he says, Das, and Erev Rav has the same numerical value as well. He says, and they were, they were, um, they became, uh, with like, like shells, they became, uh, not purified, whatever, decontaminated, whatever the terminology that you want to use, when it was wasted. So now, they have to go and get their tikkun, they have to go and get rectified. So how did they gonna get rectified? They came back already a few times into this world. The first time they came back was in the generation of the flood. And that's why we see, if you look in the, in the Psukim, and if you don't mind, I'm gonna quote you a few words in Hebrew. In Bereshit, in Genesis chapter 
chapter 6, verse 7, it says that Hashem, after they, the generation of the flood was going really bad, he says, ha'adam. I'm going to destroy the Adam. But look at the terminology that he used. Ha'adam. The Adam. Referring to these are the, these are the souls that came back from the original Adam and they didn't make the correction. But now, they didn't make the correction and they got destroyed. The world was, was destroyed. They came back a second time. And that second time was in Do'af Laga, the generation of the dispersion when they built up the tower. And what does it say over there? If you look at Genesis chapter 11 verse 5, it says, Ve'et hamigdal asher banu b'nei ha'adam. Again, the sons of Hadam built again. And again they messed up. So again, God uh, dispersed them. And they came a third time and that is the time of Sodom. And again, they were, uh, they were destroyed. They came the fourth time, says the result, and that was in the Egyptian, these are the souls that were not rectified yet, came back a fourth time, and they were the Egyptians that came into the, um, into Egypt, and they were the ones who ended up converting into becoming an Erevrat. Now look how deep it goes, you have to stay with me for a second over here. It says Yosef, when he went and he, uh, he had all the food, and the, it, you know, it says that, you know, Yosef used to make so, some of them get circumcised. And how do we know this? We see this in Genesis chapter 41 verse 55. It says, go to Yosef, uh, says Paul, and do, and do whatever he tells you to do. What is it like whatever he tells you to do? What is he gonna make you do? Like do a dance for me? It says, no, he made them circumcise. Why did he make him circumcise? Because he knew that these people need rectification. What rectification they need? They need a rectification in the Milah area. Why? Because that was the, the, the source of their soul was in the wasting of the seed. So now here they're coming and they're getting fixed it again with the, with the Brit Milah. And this is also... You're talking about Yosef, one of the tribes that you have over here, um, and, and this is, uh, you know, the um, this is also you have over here that uh, um, just a side thing. Moshe, you know why Moshe pushed for them? Because the sparks of the Erevrat came from Moshe also. It came from Moshe. That's why. How old was Yochavet, his mother, when she was born? When he was born, it was a hundred. It was she was 130 years old when she was born. Comparable to her, as I show you to compare it to that, it was 130 years when Adam separated from his wife um, um, Chava. <laughs> and this also explains. It says Yaakov Avinu also made converts. He also made converts. And how old was Yaakov Avinu when he entered Egypt? 130 years old. Look at Genesis chapter 47, verse 9. So you see over here, there is a big picture going on over here. There's a huge, huge fi- uh, picture, and this is the part where they're supposed to be coming back and to fix it. But we'll soon see that it's not going to be all that uh, nice and dandy, unfortunately. So the um, it says, and this, what happens to them in our generation? They're not just the little people; they become the heads. They become the leaders. And this is what the Vilna Gaon said that they're going to come. They're going to become the heads of the exile. And this is why they're called Rav. Rav is like, as if the Erev Rav. Like, that's why they have the terminology of Rav. And I want to share with you something here that is probably the most frightening thing that I'll tell you today. Uh, and this is from the Divrei Chaim. He says like this. And it's hard. I was actually, I was actually contemplating if I should bring, put this in or not. But usually when I say that, I usually just put everything in. Right? Um, uh, so, so, the, because if it's Torah, you have to, you have to know it. So it's just the delivery has to be put in the right way. <laughs> says the Debrei Chaim over here in Parshat Vayakel. He says like this. He says, before the arrival of the Mashiach, there are going to be many rabbis that are going to be from the Erev Rav. The Jewish, the Orthodox rabbis that are going to be part of the Erev Rav. And he says, and he goes on, he says, because Israel themselves are holy, but the Erev Rav, and this is a key to understanding it, how do you know Erev Rav between not? They only work for their own benefit. They want to rule over the public. And that's why they go. They chase money. They chase honor. And that's why they want to become rabbis. They want to become leaders. Not because they want to do it for God. And it says the people that what we have to be careful is when we choose ourselves a rabbi, we have to choose ourselves a rabbi that does it lishma, does it for God. And not in order to receive any benefit. And this is, if you want to know a sign, to know between an Erev Rav and a not Erev Rav, Right, this is the litmus test, is not what a person does, but rather what is his motivation or her motivation for doing it. 
Now, there is an idea which we do have to bring up, is mitoch balishma, which means is that even if somebody says, listen, I'll keep Shabbat, but only because I enjoy it. Keep Shabbat, do me a favor. You know, do it. You know, the, the idea is like this, is that it's better for you to start doing something, even for not the right reasons, because it's eventually going to re- lead it to the right reasons. But over here, we're talking about something very different. We're not talking about over here, for the, we're talking about here, you're doing something not for not the right reason, you're doing something for the wrong reason. You're doing something for honor. You're doing something for a negative reason, and that's why you're, you're going forward with it. So, the, um, and he says that these, these are the, that's the sign that you tell if a, if a, uh, if someone is from the Arab Avana. And I have to put in a, a disclaimer over here. Don't, if you don't, if you don't like a certain rabbi or the way, don't be like, you know what, I knew it. It's the Arab Avana. I knew that he was Arab Avana. You know, generally speaking, you know, you have to assume that, that, you know, that you're dealing with the, the, if you're dealing with a good Orthodox rabbi, you're assuming that he's a, he's a good rabbi. We're going to soon see that where we're referring to the certain liberals of the call themselves rabbis is is what we're referring to over here, and we'll soon explain it as we uh, explain it. Again, this is a very careful subject that I have to I have to be very careful how I present this, and and I pray and I hope that it will be delivered the right way, and you'll be able to understand it the right way. Because if it goes the wrong way, this can go very very bad. So, okay, so you know he goes on and says you know the of love. You know, you think of them secular people. So it doesn't have to be secular. They can look religious, and they're still a part of the Erev Rab. Says, I want to share with you something that the, 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 there's a holy sefer called the Toldot Yaakov Yosef. He was a disciple of the Baal Shem Tov, and he he was. This is the first Hasidic work that was ever published, and he has in his sefer that he says, "I heard from my teacher." Which is the Baal Shem Tov, 249 times. So he says over here, he says, the year, the years before the coming of Mashiach, the evil inclination, you know who's gonna focus on? It's gonna focus on the leaders. Because if you get the leaders, then you bring down everybody else. Because the leader, once you get the leaders, then you, you, you get everybody. So that's what the, the Yitzhah is gonna focus on. So it says the Sefer Abuit like this, and it says this is also another sign. We're gonna go through signs where you could see something could scream out to you, something is wrong with this, uh, particular leader. And that is, he goes to the, the, the Sefer Abuit. Says, and he says, you have to be careful of all new customs and groups that don't follow the customs of our forefathers. So let's say some rabbi comes up and says, you know what, or some leader says, this is a new custom that we're gonna do, this is gonna be this, and one lone rabbi decides to do it. He says, if he is deviating even a little bit from the Shulchan Aruch, you leave him immediately. You find another rabbi. If there's a rabbi that starts preaching that maybe Chazal was wrong, and maybe this, uh, the Shulchan Aruch, uh, you know, what we were talking about earlier, maybe the Shulchan Aruch wasn't so right in this aspect, that is somebody you have to leave right away. That is not somebody to be like, well, maybe he meant, no, 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 find yourself a new rabbi. Yeah, again, the, 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 another litmus test is, is that he has, if a rabbi has to follow Shulchan Aruch, that's a code of ethics of the Jewish law. Says Rabbi Yonasan Eipschitz in Yaod Vash. He says, you know, that, um, you know, due to our many sins, the, you know, jealousy and the zealousness for God has disappeared. And he says, how does he prove this? He says, you know, sometimes there will be a leader, it could even be a rabbi, unfortunately, that gets offended. So you have everybody go, and they, they go, and which is a good thing. They go and they stand up for the rabbi, which is good. But what happens when God gets offended? When they don't listen to the Torah, and they don't listen to it, everyone's like, oh, whatever, it's fine. When a leader, when a rabbi all of a sudden does something wrong, he's going to have a petition of thousands of people signing for him saying he's great. But when somebody goes and sin against God, everyone looks the other way. They're like, oh, whatever, it's normal, it's common nowadays. You know? So it says, where is our, where is our zealousness? Our zealousness should be for God and the people that go and preach what God wants us to preach. Not those that decide to make a new Torah and decide to tell us, no, this is what God wants you to do and really this sin is okay and this sin is not so bad and everybody, you know, so you have to, these are the things that you have to, uh, you have to focus on. The, Zohar says like this, says there's five different types of Erev There is the Nephilim, the Giborim, the Anakim, the Rafaim, and the Amalekim. And we're going to go and discuss each and every single one of them. Hashem. The Amalekim. So the Amalekim over here, the Amalekites, these are the ones that are left from the time of the flood. 
And what these are actually also part of the dispersion of the of the you know those uh, that the build the, the tower. These, um, he says, they're, these type of people, they'll, they'll be the ones that are going to be ruling over Israel, and they're going to have extreme arrogance. They're, as a, they're ruling, but with arrogance. And not only that, they will also slander and abuse the people that fear God. So they will lead people with their arrogance, and they'll bash everybody that listens to Hashem. And then they're going to oppose anything that's holy. Probably a few names come to mind if you go into the Israeli politics. Okay, number two is the Nephilim. Nephilim, you know where the you know the fallen angels. You guys are familiar with that idea. So, yeah, so Nephilim comes from the name of fallen angels. The angels, very briefly, what happened was is that the angels go and they go to God and say, "Listen, you're giving you know, you're putting God, over, you're putting man over here. You know, man is going to go and he's going to sin. He's going to do you know who knows how many things he's sure going to sin. So God said to them, He says, "Listen, if you are on earth like him, you would also sin." And he put them on earth, and they went, and they, you know, they fell in love, and they, they did, they did plenty of sin. And they were called, they were known as the Nephilim, the fallen ones. Their desires are going to be ch- chasing after the lust for food, the lust for money, and the lust for immorality. Of desires of women, or men, depending on, unfortunately nowadays. <laughs> so, the third one is Giborim. Giborim, these are the, these are, little, literal translation is the mighty ones. They are going to come from the side, this is from the Doha Flaga. Remember the first Amalekim was the one from the door of the, of the flood. This one is from the door of the Aflaga, of the, of the building of the Tower of, ba- of Babel. So these are the ones that said, you know, Vayomel, and these are the ones that said in Genesis chapter 6, ver- uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 11 verse 4. It says, Which means let us come and let us build a tower so we can make for us a name. So these are the souls that are going to come into the world of nowadays, and they're going to build synagogues. They're going to build yeshivot. They're going to put Torah scrolls inside it and chumashim and sulfarim and all amazing stuff, but they're not going to do it for the sake of God. Why are they going to do it? So they can make us a name. And I'm not saying anybody who has a name on a building is from the Elevlav, but I'm saying the, the whole purpose of building a shul is not for God. It's only for them and only to build themselves a name. So all they really care about is their uh, self-honor. And by the way, Reb Chaim Vitas says something scary about these type of people. So these type of people, and he's talking about, he says it's better that they would have never been born. People that do things not for the sake of heaven. He says, um, and he quotes also from the Gemara in Bahot, that, um, that he says that in Bahot 17, he says, he who occupies himself with Torah, not for the sake, for its own sake, it would have been better for him has his fetus overturned, and he would have not have come out into the world. That's how serious it is. The, um, what are you up to, number four, I think now? The Rafaim. I think it's number four, right? Number four, yeah. Number four is Rafaim. Rafaim, um, so these are, these are people which are very interesting. They have a good heart, and they like to go and give. They like to give, and they give a lot of charity to go about the nations, but they'll give everybody except for those that study Torah. They're going to give everybody, everybody else except for those that study Torah. So, well, yeah. they see even, even if, yeah, if Israel's in trouble, or I'm talking about Israel as the Jewish people. The Jewish people are in trouble. They had the ability to support it, but they're not. They're not going to help them. They're going to go, and one of the reasons is, is uh, they, they, oh, thank you. They're, they're going to um, neglect, besides being neglecting of the Torah, they are going to go, and they're going to try to integrate themselves and make themselves look like the non-Jews. So they won't support their, you know, give a donation of scholarship to, uh, you know, Brooklyn College or whatever, some nonsense of wasting your money for that. You know, I, can't, I, I still, I don't understand. People that go and they donate to all these things. Meanwhile, you have starving people that can't feed their family because they're learning in Torah and Kolel all day. Or you have people that, you know, trying to do kiruv. You know, Kiruv is a huge thing. And where, where are people donating the money to? Let's, let's build another 14 floors up over here, so then maybe we could put another, you know, uh, you know, some sort of dance studio for maybe some, you know, the ladies in the, in the, oh, come on, well, you waste your money. When you invest, you have to invest smart. In this world and in the next world. So, 
The fifth one is the Anakim. The Anakim are very similar to the Rafaim, which means that they have the ability to help, but they don't help. This one's a little bit different, though. They have they appear as mitzvah absorbers. They appear, they appear as religious Jews. and But they lack essential beliefs in Judaism. They're people that, you know, they have the costume of the Jew. But they lack that. And not only, not only do they lack it, they, they and they keep it inside, but they also, they say it outside. They mock the Jewish people. They mock people that learn to all day. Oh, come on, go go find a job. You know, they, they, they go and they, they put the, um, the, you know, hatred towards these uh, Jewish people. The Vilna Gon also, he classifies them also in five, and I'll give you his five, he doesn't, uh, you know, the, but I'll just go through the, the five uh, steps that he goes. He says, there's going to be one group that's going to be speaking Lashon Allah. The second group that's going to be pursuing desires of women. Um, the third group is going to be people that are going to be pretending to be righteous people, but in their hearts they're wicked and they're not straight. In the fourth group, they're going to be people that are going to pursue only honor, and that's why they build buildings. And in the fifth group are people that pursue money and strife and anger and gossip and all those things. Okay, so the um, so so now you have to you know be careful when you know you you attach yourself to a righteous person. How do you know that this righteous person is going to be you know like a legit righteous person? So. Unfortunately, what we really need is you really need to have siyata dishmaya. You have to have God's help, that God directs you the right thing. But you should also pray that God sends you the right person to speak to and the right person to deal with and the right person to ask questions and the right person to uh, to attach yourself as your, as your rabbi. But the chida goes and says there is you know another thing that you can build yourself merit in, and that is to to rebuke to rebuke people that are sinning because there are many people. What what does the elavav do? They try to make people sin. Right, one of the total signs also of Erev Rav is that they sin and they make other people sin. So what you have to do is you try to make other people do tshuva. Not be like, you know, someone goes and tells you what sin they did the other day. Don't be like, oh really, was it fun? Was it enjoyable? Yeah, tell me, tell me more. Yeah, oh wow. How good was it? Was it how did it taste? Just describe to me everything in, you know, minor details in it. That's not really helping that person at all. That would be like, well, okay, I just got recognized. It's recognition over here. Now I'm going to do it again. But you should go and you should go and, and give them rebuke. And it says, even if you can, you give them a book that has, you know, good uh, musar in it, or a CD, or, or send them a link to a class that has some good, uh, good lecture in it, uh, that would, maybe would wake them up. And this, uh, the Vilna also says this over here, and also it's based on the Ariya Kadosh Arizal. And he says, you know, like, it's a win-win situation, situation if you rebuke someone. If you rebuke someone and they change, then everything that they change is, you get credit for it. But let's say you rebuke someone and they don't change. And you say, listen, you gotta keep Shabbat, you gotta keep kosher, you gotta sing it, and this is not for me, not for me. If you gave them real rebuke, like heart to heart, not like, you know, like, okay, I gotta check off rebuke on my checklist, you know, cause I love God and I wanted to see that. I'd be like, hey, listen, uh, uh, be modest, cool, cool. Uh, be like, no, not interested. Alright, well, I tried. You know, I'm like, it's, uh, you know, what is rebuke? Which means things that come out of a heart go into a heart. If you really want to, and this is why I tell people all the time, I have this conversation constantly, unfortunately, in, in this, uh, community, is, we're having the younger generation becoming religious. And but when they get married, the older generation wants to have mixed weddings, and they say it's very difficult. It's very difficult. I, my parents are not going to listen to me. They're going to want to have a mixed wedding. So you know, I always tell them the same thing. The, the the idea is the same thing. You have to show your parents what you you know. Not be like, listen, mom, dad. You know, I'm religious now. It really means important to me that I have separate wedding. Okay, cool. It's my wedding. I really, I'll be like, no, no, no. You don't know anything. You're a young picture. You need to go away. We're gonna do it the way we want. We're paying for it. We're gonna do it that way. That's how it's gonna go. But if you go and you open your heart, you open your soul to your parents and be like, listen, this means the world to me, and I appreciate. It. I understand what you want, and I understand the, the you know where you're coming from, and all the friends, and I really do. And I'm asking you for the bottom of my heart. My one request is, please, I'm begging you. And you really open up to them and say, please, no mix, no mix, uh, no mix dancing. No loving parent is going to be like, I don't care what you say. You know, it's my, I don't care if you're getting married today. We're paying for it. We're going to do it. If you really open up to that, every parent always wants to do what the child wants. And if you really open up, you're going to be able to do that.
So this is the same way that you give rebuke. You give rebuke not in a way that, you know, listen, you know, when you open up, things that come out of the heart go into the heart. When you give rebuke like that, I guarantee you it goes a long run. You know how you know you have a true friend? If they rebuke you. Not a true friend who always gives you a high five every time you do everything stupid. A true friend is one that tells you, no, you're wrong, you're doing that, you're doing a problem, and you have to wake up. The, um, and what happens if you do give a good rebuke? And let's say they still don't listen. Says the Ariza, he says that all the person's merits that he does still goes to you and all your sins go to him or her to that if you give rebuke and they don't listen if they listen you get all the all the school anyways it's a win-win situation it's a win-win situation but again it has to be done right it has to come from the heart it has to come from the heart if it doesn't come from the heart you could do more problems than 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 good but if it comes from the heart it's literally a win-win situation the um okay the Zohar says you know that um the, besides, you know, when Mashiach is gonna come, the, the, the nations of the world are gonna fight against Mashiach. They're not gonna want it. You know who else is gonna fight against Mashiach? Some Jewish people. Yeah, these Jewish people, these Elif Rab, are also gonna fight against the... No, there's gonna be a war. The final war. So Mashiach's gonna come, there's gonna be a war, and then everybody's gonna like... We're gonna, yeah, we're, yeah, exactly. We'll speak about that, we'll speak about that. That's gonna be next class, Brother Shem. We'll speak about the, the Gogo Magog, the war. Yeah. No, a lot of information. No, yeah. yeah. So those people, yeah, there are ones that are, are, are not going to make it. You know, by the way, let's, let's put a little, um, ideas on it. The Zohar, listen to what the Zohar says. You know, you know who made the golden calf? The, these people. These people. You know, there was also a sin, these people. The Elevrat. You know, you know the people that, um, there was a tribe of Shimon that they did, they sinned with the woman of Moab. You know, they did a sin and 24,000 uh, Jewish people perished in that. You're familiar with that story with, uh, you know, Bilam wanted to go and convince people, so he went and he, and he told them, listen, yeah. go and seduce all the Jewish men because God hates the uh, Sonezima, and because of that, he's going to go and uh, cause a lot of people to die. And they did that. But you, yeah, okay. It's, uh, remind me afterwards, I'll explain it, I'll right. explain it to you. It's, uh, it's, in, it's in the Humash. So, um, this is the, the, the woman of Moab. So, there was 24,000 people that died. You know who sinned with Moab? The Erev Rav also. The Erev Rav attached themselves to the tribe of Shimon, says Abshim Bayuchai, and they're the ones that died. So they are causing us problems after problems after problems. Non-stop. They're also the people that love bribes and they're never satisfied with any money. The, um, you know, and it's interesting because you have, we have two Mashiach. We have Mashiach ben Yosef. This is going to be against Esav. We're going to speak about this more when we speak about two Mashiach. But then you have Mashiach ben David. This is against Ishmael. So, but, and what, you know, they're, if they united together, the Yishmael and Esav, that's where the, what is, what is the liberal Erevav of the Jewish nation? What they try to, they try to unite them. They try to unite them, and they're gonna go also, just like they're, they're not only gonna try to go against Mashiach, they're gonna try to unite also the non-Jews, and go and bring them also against, uh, Mashiach. The, uh, you know, so this is what we're dealing with. This is what we see over here, that the seriousness of this, of this situation is not only, uh, you know, something that we have to contend, you know, dealing with, with a cancer within is much difficult than dealing from a cancer without. This Erevav, the exile that we have, the Erevav is a very, very serious one and should not be taken lightly. And the Erevav, you think, they're not, uh, you know, they don't act as a, uh, separation between, you know, you know, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, they do act. They act as a separation between us and our Father in Heaven. You know, like a peel of a fruit. So you have the, you know, like the, with the, the outside, you are trying to get into the fruit and the blocking is the peel. So the Erevav is like the peel that's blocking the Father in Heaven from the, from the Jewish people. And you should not think that we and the Erevav were one nation and we're one thing. We're not one nation. They already separated themselves like the peel. They, they peeled themselves off and they took, and they, and they, uh, disconnected themselves from the Torah. So, 
we have to go and realize the difference. Now, this is something very tricky. How are you going to realize the difference between the Erev Rav and the people that are just not religious? And the people that are just, you know, they're not Shomel Torah Mitzvot. And the idea is, is that, you know, the, the people that are still, you know, the good Jewish souls, they're the ones that they are still, even though they're not yet fulfilling the requirements of the Torah, but they're still honoring the Torah. They're appreciating the Torah. They honor the Torah scholars. They still have this thing. They don't have this hatred against it. And, and, and by the way, you should know that I've had people that have hatred against it, but it was superficial hatred. That, you know, within a few classes, they started liking it. I told, I, I don't know if I mentioned this before, I had one guy that used to come to my class all the time, and he told me, so it came a very close student of mine, and uh, for years, it's going back like a few years, and um, his friends brought him to the class, and he told, uh, and, and six months go by, came to one class, and then he came to every single class on time. So, oh, look at that, this guy's really interested in learning. So he came over to me one, one day, six months into the, afterwards, and he says, Rabbi, you know, I gotta, I gotta confess something to you. I'm like, sure, you know, I guarantee you I haven't heard, uh, heard it all. Says, but this thing, you know, this was a new one for me back then. So he says, uh, you know, um, when they, my, you know, my buddies first told me to come to the class, so I had no interest in Judaism, I had no interest in religion. Says, I said, you know what, I'll come. I, my sole intent was to come was to make fun. It says, I came to mock you and make fun of you. It says, but you actually said some really interesting stuff. And, you know, I got addicted to it. And he started coming very, very, like, meticulously from that. So you see even people that even have this, unfortunately, bad look towards Torah, that's not they have this ingrown hatred to it. So you have to be careful, and it's very tricky to realize what it is and what it's not, and only God knows. Uh, but if you see somebody who constantly spews hatred, or constantly spews that, it's best to separate from those type of people. If they, you see you try again and again, they're not doing Shabbat, they're not doing that, you try to help them with that, it's better to separate those people, because those people can bring you down more than you can bring them up. The, um, and this is why the Seth al writes, this is like a, a few hundred years ago, he writes and he says, I, you know, I don't understand. He says, we have so much Torah. We have so much learning. We have so much people learning Mishnayot, Kabbalah, so everything. We have Yeshivot and Yeshivot. Where's Mashiach? What's going on over here? And he says the answer is, is that I see that everybody, that, 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 that when they're learning, they're not learning for the right, they're not learning for God. They're not learning for the right intentions for the Shema. They're learning only for their own benefit, for their own honor. And he says, and that's why I see the answer. And he says, this also, you have people, you know, they always sing, Lishana Yerushalayim. You know, they always go, next year in Jerusalem. So the problem is they really believe that. Next year, we're not ready for it yet. Next year we'll be in Jerusalem. Or give me a few years, I'm going, I'm planning a vacation to Hawaii, I'm going to the, um, Thailand, I'm going into, I'm trying to put everything in, I'm sorry. Um, Nepal, who knows where I'm going to. I need to go everywhere. God, Mashiach will come after that. That's not wanting Mashiach. That's wanting Mashiach when you're benefiting, when it's going to be benefit for you. Be like, listen, you know, somebody failed me, somebody cut me off, somebody just stole a lot of money from me, I want Mashiach because I want to see him burn. <laughs> you know, that, that's not really the reason that you want Mashiach. You want Mashiach for the right reasons for God, not for you. So the focus that we have to have is the focus, we have to focus on the right intentions. This is also, you, you know, you would think, okay, you know who's going to bring Mashiach? The big rabbis, the big people, those are going to be the Mashiach. No, 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 it's not going to be that. It's going to be the simple people that keep Torah, Umitzvot, and even to those who are not so meticulous, that those people are going to be the ones that are going to bring uh, the Mashiach. And I want to share with you a short story. This is from Rav Avram Mordechai Alter. Yeah, he later became the Ger Rebbe. His father was a Sfat Emet. His father called him when he was younger, him and his brother, and he said, listen, I want you to go to a certain town. I want you to find this person. Uh, he gave him the name of this person, a certain Jew in, in Warsaw. And he says, I want you to go and get a blessing from him. So they said, fine, they went and they traveled to this town, and they went in, and they tried to get the, you know, find the guys, like, you guys, you know, they figure they're going to a big rabbi, you know, like the biggest rabbi, you know, they're traveling to get a blessing, who knows what this rabbi's gonna be. So they said, you know Rabbi so-and-so, we're not familiar, and they go from place to place, and finally says, yeah, we know, and they say the guy by the first name, is it that guy? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's over there. And they go in there, they see a guy, very simple, 
living in a very, very mo- you know, modest house, and they go in, they knock on the door, and be like, um, where, where, you know, our father's a spot that met. He's like, he's like, wow, he's like, well, what brings you over here? He says, the father said, um, he wants us for, you know, to come here to get a blessing from you. He says, for me, he's like, I, I think you guys have a mistake. He says, are you so and so from this town? And he's like, yeah. He says, no, well, my father told us to go over here. And he kept on going back and forth. He says, I don't know what you can see in me. I'm nothing. I'm a simple guy. I'm nothing. So he says, listen, our father told us at least can you give us a, you know, can you give us a blessing? He says, fine. You know, in, in, in reference to, to your father and the honor that I have to your father, the big rabbi, he gave them a blessing. After um, they came back, they asked him, they asked the father, he said, I don't understand. He says, uh, what's, you know, like the guy seemed a very simple guy. He doesn't seem like a big righteous guy. So the father said, he says, you know, a short while ago, he had to make a brit, a brit milah. And the problem is that he didn't have, he didn't have a penny to his name. He had nothing. He had nothing to even make a modest meal for, to thank God for the, you know, for the beautiful gift of life that he bestowed upon him. So he was thinking what to do. He says he, he didn't have anything to sell in his house that he could do. So he, what he did was is he took his bed, he took his mattress, and he brought it out into the, into the marketplace, and he sold it. He sold his only mattress that he has to sleep on, and with that money he went and he said, and he gave a brit milah. It was decreed in heaven because of what he did, that any blessing that he's going to give is going to be fulfilled. And he says, and the biggest, the reason why it works even better is because he doesn't even know about it. There's no arrogance. There's just humility. I was like, I don't know. He says, every blessing that he has, this is how you know, the simple, the simple people. It's every one of us that we're able to do just one thing and you don't know what reward that's going to, ha- that's going to cause in the next world. You don't know what reward that's going to cause you in this world. People think, people say, you know what, I have to do, I have to be, become a huge, huge righteous person. Otherwise, what's the point of even trying? You don't know by sacrificing one thing, by becoming extra modest in this way, by keeping Shabbat extra better, by keeping kosher extra stricter, you don't know what you're doing. Learning a few minutes extra, you don't know what you're changing in the next world. This can change worlds by just the simple people. And this is what that Rizal says, you know, it, you, you think about it, it says nowadays, what do we compare to our, to our great-grandfathers? Imagine to our, you know, 300 years ago. Imagine 2,000 years ago, the time of the Gemara, right, in the time of the Mishnah, the time of the Beit HaMikdash. It says, if they didn't bring Mashiach, how can we bring Mashiach? And this we spoke about it in one of the things in class number one. But he says, it says that Rizal says, every action, because we have so many temptations in this world, we're living in a world of such impurity. Uh, the, the Rav Nachman Abbasov says, before Mashiach comes, there's going to be a flood of immorality. It's going to be a tremendous amount of immorality. So, we're, we're living in such an immoral environment, in such a terrible place place that, you know, everything that we do is worth so much more than had we done it 2,000 years ago. So the value of the mitzvot that we do today are valued are much higher than we did over there. So we think, yeah, how, we, we, granted, we're nothing compared to those righteous people. But our value of our mitzvot can reach so high because you don't know what one little bracha can do. One, one little day, it's extra hot and you're thinking, okay, maybe I'll be a little bit less modest with it today. And you're going, no, no, you, know, you, you don't know what that does. That could do wonders. This is, um, and, and this goes on to, um, and we're wrapping up, and then we're, co- we're coming to a close. The um, the students of the Torah. So people that learn Torah always find this very, very fascinating. You're learning Torah all day. How can it be if you're learning Torah, you don't change your ways? The purpose of learning Torah is that you're supposed to change yourself, become a better person. You learn Torah, so you come out of class. Every class, by the way, this is, a, this is an important lesson. Every single class of learning Torah that you do, you can learn something practical. We could be speaking about the most Kabbalistic concepts, but if you have a little bit of imagination, you're able to take about what's something practical that I could take out and that I could implement in my own life to make myself a better person today. Everything can do it. Every single class you can do that. And uh, so, so the question is, if you have these people that are learning Torah, but they have arrogance, they don't have Yilat Shemayim, fear of heaven, what's going on over here? And the answer is, is that they don't internalize it. They learn it as a superficial. They don't, they don't actually go inside and they don't bring it in. They don't realize that one of the most important things that you have to have as a Jew is number one, fear of heaven. You have to be fear of heaven. There's supposed to be a Yirat Shemaim. You have to have fear of God. Because if you have fear of God, you will not sin. 
If you don't have fear of God, then the only reason you're not sinning could either be because of, uh, you know, just, just the society. It could be because you feel it might be right. But if you have fear of God, if no one's watching, you're not going to sin because you have the fear of God. And also you have to be humble. This is also, this is so important for people learning to all day. So how could it be you're sitting in Yeshiva, you're learning to all day, and you're learning about Yerat Shemaim, you're learning about fear of God, you're learning about being humble, but what happens is you don't internalize it. And that's the problem is when you go and you learn, you listen to a class, you have to internalize what you're learning. You have to realize, you have to take it. So listen, you know, th- we spoke today a lot about Elav Lav. We have to eradicate the Elav Lav within us, all the heresy that we have, all the heretics. Mi Hashem Hashem Who is God that I should listen to His name? We should remove all that from within ourselves. This, the Elav Lav, they infiltrated our society and our being, and they put on all these heretics' values into us. We have to go and eradicate them as well, and the, the ideas on them. And this is the idea, this is the problem is when you study about God superficially. You have to be something called the Vuk Hashem. You have to be attached to God. And this is what I tell people always, you know, if, if someone asks me a question about dating, what type of person to look for? One of the most important things is look to somebody who is attached to God. Not somebody who is learning in Yeshiva all day, 24 hours a day. That's great. That's great. But if he's not attached to God, there's a problem over there. Somebody who's, who's attached to God, who always wants to do the right thing, who always will strives to become a better person, that you know is going to be an amazing spouse. Guaranteed. Because he's always going to, or she's going to always want to do better. He's going to always want to be more modest. Always want to treat their husband or his wife better and um, with more honor and with, you know, better, you know, just integrity in the home. Everything is going to go better when you have that. And this is what you have. You have to have this attachment to God. You could see by how a person deals. This is just an overall, you know, this is how you look at how a person acts and how a person, you know, if he doesn't care about st- certain stuff and be like, you know, some people like to pick and choose mitzvot. They're like, yeah, this, this all particular, but, you know, come on. You know, that's not, you're not being, you're not doing it for God. You're doing it for yourself because you think it's going to come give you some benefit. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a really an overall picture. Don't, you know, you ask, you sit in a date with a guy, be like, are you, uh, are you attached to God? <laughs> like this. Me and God, we're tight. Every time I smoke weed, we talk, we have conversations. You know, I've had these conversations with people before. That they go and they do all these drugs and they're the closest they are to God. Like, you're not close to God. You're having some sort of, you know, brain issues. That but that's I, what. But I know, like, from people who, like, smoke weed. Yeah, there's a lot. I'm not, uh, that, this is not the class today about the, about the weed, because we're going to be uh, about the weed, I feel like. <laughs> we're not talking today about the weed. Um, but no, but it's, it's a whole topic in itself. Um, uh-huh. But, um, but no, I'm not talking about that particularly. I'm just giving you an idea, an example of how, you know, I've, I've spoke to people, you know, these, you know, they're literally, they're, they're potheads, and they think they have the strongest connection to God. You know when I'm spiritual? When I'm high. <laughs> that means you're not spiritual, because you're not you when you're high. That, you know, that doesn't mean, granted, it can work to your benefit. Okay, God, fine. Yeah, I'll give you that. But if you're not spiritual when you're not high, that means you're not a spiritual person. That, you know, just be honest with yourself. They, they, this, these are how people rationalize it. You understand where they rationalize it? I have a class. Unfortunately, everyone comes in stoned. And people, everybody comes in stoned. I can't tell you which class. It's, it's, uh, um, no, um, it's, it's, it doesn't matter. It's a very, very small group of people. But it's like, I'm like, whatever, this is my clientele is who I deal with. Um, yes, yes, yes. Cause when you, if you smoke every day, it doesn't affect you as much. But that's what they tell me. And by the way, I'm joking. By the brain cells are die. These brain, the people I'd say they're not, I, I see, I see, we, we jump from topic to topic. We go ADD, we go, and the bicycle and the butterfly, we go, we go. We, we, it's, it's nothing that gets, it can't get recorded. Those classes can't get recorded. Yeah, no, I don't get prepared. Uh, I stay away from everything like that. What? No, we, we, oh, we've gained a lot. We've gained a lot from that. Just because they do that doesn't mean that they're, I mean, don't, don't get me, you know, don't get the wrong idea. It's 
for, you, you should never do that. Never come to a class. And I spoke to him about it. I spoke to, you know, it's, it's a whole thing in itself. I probably shouldn't have said this on camera, but whatever. It came up already. It's meant to be. It's meant to be, right? So it's for maybe some people, somebody can learn from it. It's a very, very bad thing. Just because it's becoming more common today doesn't mean that it's a good thing. It's a very, very bad thing. It's a very bad trade. It gets you out of your moral, your moral compass and, and it doesn't make you think straight. And people tell me, no, you think fine. I deal with these people. Their eyes are glazed. They're like half sleeping. Be like, and they can't remember things that happened. They ask the same questions again and again. And be like, come on, you're telling me your brain cells are not dead. I mean, you gotta be. Something's gotta go on over there. And I've seen these people over there over time. I see. I see it that they definitely something goes on in the brain over there. Something goes off. And uh, so if anybody here, maybe somebody's listening online. I'm sure no one here smokes a lot. But if someone smokes a lot, then realize maybe it'll wake them up that it, it does. It's it's a problem. And it definitely makes your brain slower and moves it slower. And you know, you'll bring me. You know, then people come and send me all these all these studies that were done. I like, guarantee you, these studies were done either by people who are distributing weed or potheads themselves <laughs> or you know something like that. They have some sort of infiltration. You give me. And granted, there are some benefits to it. I'm not going to go. If you go into the medical world, there are some benefits in it, and that's why one of the reasons it's becoming legal. And I'm not, again, even though I'm speaking about it for a long, no, it's for health benefits. There are health benefits. No, no There's no spiritual benefit. benefits to it. Um, but, um, smoking so, cigarettes. You have to guard your soul. Oh, you have to watch yourself. You can't, you can't hurt yourself. Smoking a cigarette is bad? You go to a doctor and tell see what he says. Oh, okay, okay, but like, because you have to be healthy, you have to be healthy. For that oh, same so reason, it's supposed to be a health thing. It's a mitzvah, of course. <laughs> yeah, you got to guard yourself. Let's finish up the topic, and then we'll go on to all the other all topic things. Okay, so okay, so the the uh, the idea is over here, like this. Listen to this. Listen to listen to the when we're doing something, we have to realize our focus in it. Our focus should be lishma. It should be for God. You look at the pekei avot. The sixth parak in Pekei Avot, the first one, Rabbi Meomel, he says like this, Kol lishma. Whoever deals in the Torah lishma for the sake of the right sake, he's zochet devarim habe, and he's, he's benefited many many things. And he goes on here for a list of things, and he says not only is he's it's, it's worth it for him that the whole world was created just for him, and then he's considered loved, and he's considered love to the God, love to everybody. He's making God happy, he's making other people happy. He's going to be, have humility, and it goes. He's going to be a tzaddik, a chassid, a yashar, a neman. He's going to be distanced from from sin. You could go. It's like literally a huge paragraph here of all the benefits if you just do the right thing for the right reasons. And this is how important it is that. We have to do the right things for the right uh, for the right reasons. The um, furthermore, there is the um, it says in Shalai Kedusha that Mashiach is not going to come until jealousy is going to be removed. Jealousy is going to be seized, uh, and it's a, he brings this from the from the pasuk in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter eleven verse thirteen that says, "If I will not be jealous of Yehuda," and it says something very interesting. I'm looking over here in, in Pirkei Avot. That will be Yeshua. Here we go. It says over here like this. It says that, uh, first of all, what jealousy is a very, very bad trait. Why is it so bad with jealousy? Jealousy causes, um, causes a lot of hatred to happen to other people. And this is, we know, what is the reason that we have the end of days? Why Mashiach did not come yet? We know Sinat Chinam. So what's Sinat Chinam? Baseless hatred, which is jealousy. The same idea. Baseless hatred. Listen to what Rabbi Yeshua says in Pekei Avot. There's, there's Ayinara, evil eye, the Yetzara, evil inclination, the Sinat Habriot, and jealousy, and like hating of the Briot, Motsi'in et Ahadam in Aolam, remove a person from this world. Not only for the next world, it makes your life over here already miserable. It removes you from the world over here. And he says over here, 
And he says that this, this is the, the reason why the temple was destroyed. You know one of the one, number one reason the temple was destroyed? Baseless hatred. That's why we don't have the sheikh yet. Because we have the baseless, uh, baseless hatred over here. So we want to, and this is, we have, we have an obligation. You're not allowed to hate your brother in your heart. And then we have an obligation also. You have to love your friend like yourself. If you love somebody like yourself, you will never have any bad feelings to them. You will never have any, any, you know, bad, bad ideologies to them. This is why the one one thing that's very important is to realize that you know how to get rid of sinachinam, how to get rid of baseless hatred. Realize that everybody has a, a purpose in their life. Everybody has a purpose in life, and if you deal with that purpose, and if you realize that, I'd be like, why their job is different than my job, and my job is different than his job, and his job is different than her job. Everybody has a different job, and that's why you know somebody have you know get more, and some people get less. And if you really want to get rid of it, of sinachinam, is the somebody that you have this sinah, pray for that person. Pray for that person. If you're going to go and pray for that person, and then that person has something good, be like, great, God listen to my prayers. You know, so you start liking it. You start investing into that person. Now, wait, you said if someone feels hatred towards somebody else, you have to pray for that person. Pray for that person that it should have a good life. It should be good. It should be successful. Hating. Yeah. Another person. Yeah. The hater and the other person. Because again, the one, the, yeah, the, the, because this, and this is a big thing with the, with the, with the El Avab, cause a lot of jealousy. A lot of, where, what, where does jealousy stand from? Arrogance also. So there's a lot of, this all associated with the El Avab. And we have to remove these types of, of, uh, of character traits within us. Remove this El Avab within us and get, get rid of it. So what do we need to do? The bottom line. We need to go and increase in our study of Torah and increase in our keeping of our mitzvot. This is what we have to do. You want to be, it says something very scary. You know, uh, before we left Egypt, there was Choshech, the plague of darkness. And what happened to the plague of dar- darkness? A fifth, which is, which is, uh, um, well, a fifth came out. 20, 80% of the Jewish population died in Egypt. <clears throat> Same thing is going to happen in, before Mashiach comes. Not everyone's going to make it to Egypt. These are the people that are not going to make it. People that we spoke about now that are part of the, these people are not coming with, into the days of Mashiach. You want to come into the days of Mashiach, you have to make sure that you're able to do it. And this is something very, very important over here. Something I just, I, you know, I saw recently. The, <clears throat> the end of days is going to be a test of belief, of emunah. The, the bottom line, and the more, the more research I'm doing, by the way, on Mashiach, and all the Svarim I'm buying, and I'm reading, and all I'm doing that, the one thing that I see consistent is that we have to work on our emunah in the end of days, our faith. Our faith has to be stronger, and this is something that we need to work on. And um, this, and I remember, I don't remember who this was, but I remember seeing this maybe 11 years ago or more even. Uh, they asked a rabbi, the big Adol Adon, I don't remember who it was, and if somebody knows who it is on listening, I, I looked for the source and I couldn't find that, please email me because I, I was looking for the source. They came over to the rabbi and says, I want to go and uh, we want to, what should we work on something? For the nation as a whole, what is something that we need to work on in the end of days? He said, Emunah. I remember back thinking back, really, that, 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 that maybe modesty, kosher, you know, Shabbat, something, but Emunah, it says Emunah, we gotta work on our faith. And if somebody hears it online and is able to listen to it, please send me that, cause I was trying to find the source and I couldn't find it. So, says, so, so, with the test of Emunah, how is it, how is it expressed? Listen to something amazing. You wanna know how the, the proper Emunah is expressed? It is, and this is, this is, so, this is amazing. It's expressed, I'll give you the proof for it. It's expressed by the proper observance of Shabbat. And listen to this. It's based off the Tanit, the Gemara in 8b. It says, those who fear my name, Yerashimi, those who, those who fear my name. What does it mean, those who fear my name? You look over there, Rashi over there, it goes and it says, it's those who keep Shabbat are those who fear my name. Those are, you know who, the, who are the gonna people that have, gonna be both there in their Munah, gonna fear my name, are those people, are the people that are keeping Shabbat. Look how important and fundamental Shabbat is. Also to the end of days. So he said Munah, but really, you see over here, there's a lot more that goes into it. So, 
the test that, that we have to do at the end of the day is to make sure that we give the proper honor and respect to the Torah scholars and the proper honor and respect to the Torah itself and to the, and to the mitzvot that we are supposed to do. And Bezat Hashem, hopefully, will be part of the, you know, that, that 20% that does make it at the end of days and not associated with the Elev Rav that's not going to make it. And we'll be able to see Mashiach Mehera Be'aminu, Bezat Hashem, very, 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 very soon. <laughs> Any questions? No questions. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No questions? Good. Chazak Oh, wait. Hold on. You didn't say that the guy who funded the whole thing today? You didn't say his, his whatever. Oh, today. I, I said it earlier, but if you want to do oh, it on I camera. Um, with today was sponsored by uh, Nahum Shamilov. Thank you very much for sponsoring. It is for Fuash Lema, for Shalima, but, uh, uh, no, uh, Leah, Lydia, Bas, Celia, and we said also another Fuash Lema for... You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.